Hello and welcome back to Sustainable AF. In this first series, we're taking you on a guided tour of the Sustainable Development Goals, or the SDGs, a framework designed to help us build a more sustainable future. I'm Felicia, a writer, strategist and teacher who specialises in the transition to a low carbon future. And I'm Alex. I'm a former fixed income specialist and I'm now building a regenerative agriculture startup. Today, we're going to talk about SDG 10, reducing inequalities. You can't really think about society today without thinking about inequality and the impact it has on so many lives at a national and at a personal level. So what we're going to do is explore the idea of inequality, why it matters and why it's such a huge challenge to address. Well, today we're going to focus mostly on inequality of income, as that's a core element in changing development pathways. We're also going to touch on systemic problems, unconscious bias in people and technology. And most importantly, we're going to try and look at what solutions we can bring to the table to figure this out. The difficulty in talking about inequality is that this is a conversation that's been an increasing part of discussions about society for the last couple of hundred years. The problem we have is that discussions about inequality don't even always agree on how much inequality exists, how we should measure it, and actually sometimes either whether or not a degree of inequality is necessary in order to drive economic growth and innovation. There is no doubt that this is a really complex issue. There are so many interconnected elements in play, and many of them feed into historical power relationships and expectations. And that includes race, gender, sexuality, class, income, and even culture and religion. It's almost scary how difficult it is to pull apart what drives inequality in terms of identifying how we need to address it. But in the end, what we've realised is that addressing inequalities is one of the most fundamental requirements there is for building a fairer and more sustainable future. And we have to accept that our history is filled with inequality, driven by perceptions of different status and different access to human rights, which has affected the development of our societies. We are now at an inflection point where we can start to think about how we might do things differently in the future. But doing things differently in the future means we have to address how structural bias can affect the ways in which we solve problems. In AI, this is known as code bias, where problems with data systems or assumptions by coders means that perhaps different genders or races can be ignored in facial recognition. But it can be seen in all of the conscious and unconscious biases which affect how our political and economic systems work. At the heart of the debate are differing viewpoints shaped by culture, history and ideology, as well as economic and social trade-offs. There are questions that we need to ask, such as whether or not inequality is inevitable, maybe even useful, or is it fundamentally just a bad thing? And that means we need to think again about access, access to education, about innovation, and ask ourselves to what extent inequality can be offset by greater opportunities in innovation. Are ideas about minimising inequality and encouraging innovation mutually exclusive? Or can we actually find some way of bringing them all together? So what's interesting about SDG 10 is it's focused on income inequality. In fact, while the SDGs do have a goal on gender, SDG 2, there isn't one on race, and I think that's something we need to explore in more depth in the future. Yeah, and I think we will. But what I think is really interesting about SDG 10's focus on one element of the problem is that it's about finding a way to communicate about the dangers of inequality. 
and doing that in ways that politicians and businesses, economists and even neoliberals can understand. It's about taking a different approach. It's using that economic lens and saying, if you decide to look at this as an entry point, there's potentially some real changes that can be made. And for the positive, if we're looking to make the world a better, fairer place, then we have to address things in a fairer, more structural way than simply economics. But at its heart, economic inequality is a useful framing tool that can help people understand the negative overall impact of inequality. Now, Alex and I know that we're not necessarily the best place to discuss the impact of race and racial inequality because it's not part of our own day-to-day experience living in the UK. But that doesn't mean we can't understand how important it is. I don't think we can move on as a society without addressing the implications of historical imperialism, slavery, and the structural framework and problems that we've all been left to deal with. Yep, totally. The Black Lives Matter movement has raised the issue of systemic racism. Vaccine nationalism has risen its ugly head, and many developing nations are struggling to tackle COVID-19. COVID has hit women's employment far harder than men's, and we seem to be in an increasingly politicised environment where even discussions about how we tackle some of the world's biggest problems run into trouble. Climate change, for example, is going to have the biggest impact on some of the most vulnerable countries, countries which have probably contributed the least to the anthropogenic increase in GHG emissions over the last couple of hundred years, and yet they're being blamed for trying to grow their way out of poverty. And it's not clear how these unequal impacts are going to be handled or how the financial issues of who's going to pay for climate mitigation and adaptation in poorer countries is going to be handled. $100 billion was promised from richer to poorer countries that has not materialised to mitigate and adapt to the two climates that are changing. And many countries are reining in international spending as they tackle the impact of COVID. The UK just reduced its foreign aid, for example, by hundreds of millions of pounds. And the thing is that climate change is just one of the challenges we face and one that is subject to all of the complications about power and control that come from global structural inequalities. In many ways, if you think about it, this discussion is about relationships of power. Who has the power over what decisions? You know, a lot of the time, those with the money make the decisions, but it can be more subtle than that. And that's what this conversation is really about. Looking at ways we can return power over people's lives to the people in question. There's a real risk and, you know, the one that we have to discuss that as we develop new technological solutions to our problems, we embed bias and that imbalance of power in the systems that run our lives. Yeah, and this is highlighted really nicely in a new Netflix documentary called Coded Bias. And it's done by a computer scientist called Joy Blumweeney. And she talks about the challenges that AI is bringing with facial recognition and decision-making by perpetuating racial and gender bias through AI and coding, where the access to credit, phone recognition programs, et cetera, are not trained on black faces. So they just don't recognize them. It's all about the impact this can have on access to jobs, colleges, mortgage applications, and loans. Now, we're not going to talk about all of this in detail today, uh, but rather we're going to focus on this one element of income inequality. But it's definitely something we're going to explore in more depth in season two. 
where we're going to bring in experts to discuss, you know, exactly how we address challenges like this and what we need to do and how we do it, you know, in order to achieve real change. So SDG 10 is about something which is affected by and connected to all of these issues, but more specifically, it's income inequality and what that can mean for individuals and societies. Put simply, it's about how the differences in what people earn, the increasing distance between the rich and the poor, how that's putting strain on the social contract and the negative impacts that that can have on the economy. So some recent McKinsey research showed that the emerging economies have generally accounted for about two thirds of the world's GDP growth in recent years. But what that also means is they also account for more than half of new consumption over the past 15 years. In global terms, the world has become more equal. So that means that previously developing economies like China and India have narrowed the gap in national income, specifically since the 1980s, and that middle-income countries like Indonesia and Mexico have also increased their share. Now, there are two problems here. The first is that increasing national income doesn't necessarily mean fairer distribution in country. And the second is that so far, increased income has always gone hand in hand with increased consumption. Yeah, and that's you know often a challenge for addressing issues like climate change. So some economists, like Nobel Prize winner Joseph Stiglitz, has argued that um, inequalities in wealth, income and consumption can harm economic growth in the long run because it hinders educational opportunities. It slows human capital formation. And most importantly, it prevents intergenerational mobility, meaning, you know, that a poor parent is more likely to have a poor child. One of the challenges is also is reported to result in higher crime rates. It has an impact on life expectancy and, of course, on social cohesion. Opponents argue that if there's not enough money at the bottom end of society to be shared out, well, there's little to no incentive to try and improve your lot. Now, you can't talk about inequality without addressing power. And power relationships will transcend this podcast. You can see inequality, especially, especially economic inequality, as a sign that, are, that there are too many monopolies that a small number of people and institutions have most power, the most capital, and the most influence. It means rent-seeking, where certain groups manipulate public policy or economic conditions as a means of increasing their own profits. That can mean anything from pricing smaller players out of the market, eroding workers' rights, and so on. It also often leads to the issue with negative externalities and their overall impact on economic performance, which, of course, is exactly what we've seen with climate change. And this brings us to the one percenters. So one of the big discussions in this whole area is this idea of the one percent. So like the top one percent of society and their increased control over not just capital, but also over the share of national income of return on equity. So one of the things that's really important is the one percenters isn't just in one country. So the French economist Thomas Piketty has argued that income inequality has increased in almost all regions of the world in recent years. There's some great writers who have talked about the impact of the one percenters, especially in the US and the UK. This is about the gap of income distribution between the one percenters at the top of the economy 
and 99% of the rest of us. There used to be a clear middle class, but the gap between the middle and the top is rapidly increasing. In 2012, I think it was, that it was said that the world's richest 1% have more than twice as much wealth as 7 billion people. That's amazing. But what's scary is that that gap is only continuing to grow, and it did so during the pandemic. According to a UBS report, billionaires kept getting richer while many normal, ordinary people were losing their jobs, their future, their healthcare, you know, any sense of being able to recover. In the US now, the top 1% own more wealth than the bottom 92% combined. And the 50 wealthiest Americans own more wealth than the whole bottom half of American society. That's like 160 million people. And yet while all this wealth is growing, there's still half a million homeless people, 92 million uninsured or underinsured people. And the reality is that apparently low-income Americans now have a life expectancy an average of 15 years shorter than the wealthy. And remember here, people, we are not going down the communist route. We are literally saying the system is set up for those people to become billionaires, but it just leaves so many behind. How can we readdress the capitalist structure that there's more inclusion? As Fee said in the last podcast, how many billions can you spend or do you need? Corporate chief executives now make over 300 times more than average employees. Yet the average American worker earns just earns $32 a week less than he or she did 50 years ago after adjusting for inflation. In other words, despite a huge increase in technology and productivity, ordinary workers are actually losing ground. And that is not going to lead to a sustainable society. And that's the thing. It's about a society that works as a whole, not just for a few people. So Alex is talking about the differential that's growing between the rich and the poor. But if you think about this, those that slow growth, well, actually not even growth, that loss in the average income over the last 50 years is about your average US worker. And 50 years ago, that probably mostly meant men and probably white men. So while SDG 10 doesn't explicitly discuss race, issues around diversity and gender and race can't be separated from who gets paid what. And the thing is, this doesn't just play out at, you know, at the lower levels. It plays out at the most senior levels of companies as well. You know, it's often said, if you're not a white man, you have to do twice as much for half the recognition. And I don't mean to be funny, but that doesn't seem fair. Yeah, I also agree. It isn't fair. And it's also bad business and one that can affect companies' bottom line. When we look at boards, there is often very little diversity. And this can be reflected across the company, in fact. While it's while admittedly it's getting better, it seems self-evident that there that a diverse board of men and women from different cultures and races would provide a wider and deeper understanding of the challenges that the companies face. And there's actually quite a lot of research addressing this. Um, of course, it's challenging because there are mixed results. Sometimes there's accounting improvements. Sometimes the research shows that there's no impact on market performance. Where it gets really interesting, though, is thinking about change. So one of the big issues in 21st century business is about the management of change. It's seen as key to modern business success. But if the same faces, the same education and attitudes keep making the same decisions, 
Norms are never going to be challenged. And that means you're going to miss potential innovation. Think about how many new products have been developed for old niches, which have now become mainstream for vegans, for the climate conscious, for those interested in the circular economy. Alex is a classic. He got very excited about his regenerative jumper. Yeah. Oh, Patagonia again. I bought. No, Patagonia, exactly. But you see, it's exciting and that is becoming something really popular. And it started out being for people with a specific concern. Some argue that market forces mean that the distribution of income and capital is efficient. But economist Arthur Oaken argued that inequality is like a leaky bucket. He said, if some people are suffering from thirst, whilst others have plenty of water, he argued, then water should be transferred to the the thirsty people, even if the only way to do so was using a leaky bucket, resulting in a loss of efficiency, i.e. water. So I think the point here is, you know, is efficiency the be-all and end-all? Because he made a great point about how our current political and economic systems keep people in their place, or worse, by enforcing certain rules and norms about the way we're supposed to live the things that we're taught to want and to value. Now, that brings us back to the idea of markets and what is valued in those markets. Mostly it's been financial return, as we've discussed before. But the reality is the way the markets operate is a result of our political and economic systems and therefore choices. We're seeing significant change from central banks, investors, insurers and the likes who are now demanding new approaches to valuing ecosystem services and the importance of clean air, water and a more just society. It's being factored into economics now. Yeah, so we we have touched on this before, but this is just about saying there is more than financial capital to value. There's human capital, there's environmental capital, intellectual capital, social capital, manufacturing capital. What this is about is saying that if we're going to talk about return, we have to look at the impacts and consequences of our actions more than simply financially. The problem with income inequality is that while income hasn't really increased for the majority of the bottom part of the population, there has been an increase in the cost of living, of education and healthcare. Even in countries where there's, where there's a nationally funded education and healthcare system, It can be slow, poor quality, and its access is terrible. So, of course, one of the reasons that this issue has become so pertinent is the shocks of the last year or so with the pandemic have really thrown what most people are facing into stark relief. To be honest, most people I don't think care about the unfairness of wealth distribution if they've got enough to live on and help their families. You know, perhaps it's something they can aspire to. But when you're seeing a wider suffering, I think it changes the way people think, look at things. The problem comes, like now, when that isn't enough, when the social contract is completely upended, when what's happening in the world around us highlights the problems with our current system. There is a problem here, potential social unrest, but also an opportunity to use what we're seeing to drive the change in how we do things for a completely different and better future. So even aside from issues like climate change and sustainability, racial injustice and the loss of gender rights, we're facing a total transformation in the way in which society functions. And this is on a really basic level, not a human rights level. Historically, the economy has been driven by manufacturing. 
But as the world goes increasingly digital and AI continues to replace the need for people, there's not only a growing need for specialist skills and knowledge, but that increase in automation is going to put a lot of people out of work. While it takes a while, it's going to happen. In the last few years, 70% of GDP and gross surplus gains across G20 countries have accrued from a handful of economic activities, including finance, real estate, tech, pharma, and some other business services, not manufacturing. And no matter how much politicians argue that they're going to stimulate manufacturing to stimulate the economy, that's not how it's going to work anymore. That change is not just jobs, but where and how we live. Although we'll talk about this more when we talk about sustainable cities and communities. So if we're going to face the challenge head on, we're going to need to address the issues and the systems which govern the way we live. That's what this is all about. There are obviously environmental and natural systems on which we're reliant. But the systems that govern the way in which we live our lives are the political, legal, economic, financial and cultural systems that explain and make and can even redesign our world. In the end, we choose how these systems work. And we currently live in an interdependent and unequal world. And that, as Alex has said, is not going to be enough anymore. Equality of opportunity still depends on a lot of things like gender, age, ethnicity, family background, and place of residence. And that's not a bug, it's a feature of the system. But there are things we can do to change the system, to change the way in which inequality is embedded in these systems. And that's what we want to think about today. That's what we want to start the conversation going, how we get these things done. And there's a whole bunch of them. So, access to high quality healthcare and education. We've touched on this in earlier pods, explaining why this is so important and again showing the importance of the interconnection of the SDGs. But it's about skills, access and quality of life. The obvious one we've just talked about is the rethinking of work and skills. So the world is changing around us, but we're still working on old paradigms. We need to find new ways of addressing worker skills and adaptability. We need to learn how to transfer skills from one industry to another and all the while thinking about how we continue to ensure a fair wage for work. And the next one is new metrics. We keep talking about the need to measure things in new ways. We also need to think more about how and where we ascribe value. Think about the ways to encourage investors to align their capital flows with positive social, environmental and economic outcomes. One of the most important ways is thinking about new ways to share economic gains. We need to think in new ways about tax and capital transfer models, and we need to be open to these discussions. So recently, the US came out with its climate plans, and, you know, it's talking about taxing the rich. But we have to do it in ways that don't feel punitive. Absolutely. Next one, new ways to think about social assistance, whether it's furlough, child support, universal basic income employment benefits, support for training, cancelling student debt to encourage the young. We need to think about all these new things. And for me, one of the most important things is dealing with bias and discrimination, because we're talking about the need for new thinking. But if we don't address bias in that thinking, the same problems are going to continue. And I do think this is going to be one of the hardest things to do well. We all know there's a difference between unconscious bias and willful ignorance, but they've both got to be addressed systematically and individually. And that means we're going to have to find new ways to talk to each other. 
you know, just because you don't know something or haven't experienced it, it doesn't mean it's not a reality. But there's a huge upside to this as well, because if we can bring in this broad range of perspectives, if we can integrate different ways of thinking about the same problems, then we're going to have a whole load of new approaches to problem solving. In the end, what we're saying is that inequality is the end result of our social and political choices. And that means we get to choose to end it, whether that's through how we vote, what we buy or don't. Or some other approach. The future really is in our hands. So that's it for today. We hope you enjoyed this start to the conversation about inequality. We know it's only the beginning, but we hope you found something to make you think. And we hope that you'll join us again next week on our journey to becoming Sustainable AF. And don't forget, if you're a fan of Sustainable AF, please spread the word. Tell your friends, give us likes, thumbs up and reviews and share your thoughts on our social media. We have no marketing budget, so our reach depends entirely on people like you. You can subscribe and listen on any good podcast platform like Google Podcasts, Apple or Spotify. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye.